0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches the next message in our series, Victory. Let's join in now. I want you to say this scripture with me. It's a blank actually in your program uh, right here in the scripture because this is the basis of our Victory series. We know we served. A, a risen Savior who ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, which means he was legitimate. He wasn't just a guy who walked the earth. I don't know about you, there's been lots of good people, but I've never, ever heard of, of any dude, like, putting his two feet on the ground and then just going straight up to heaven, to the right hand of the throne of God. That's Jesus, right? And, and he is risen, but it's more than just a historical fact. It's the history that gives us the victory in this life. And so let's say together Romans 8 in verse 37 out loud. Here we go. One, two, three. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remember, the resurrection doesn't get you out of your trouble. It doesn't help you go around your trouble. It doesn't help you see your troubles disappear. But we know that the great truth of the resurrection is that God wants to work in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means even your life? Even your life. God wants to work in your life. You see, some of you are going through a lot of pain. Some of you are going through a lot of hurt. Some of you have gone through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and you carry some deep scars from life. Anybody have the scars of life? (laughs) I know I have them. But here's what we need to know today, that the resurrection can give us victory over agony. The resurrection can give us victory over agony. Now, agony is different for different people. Some of us have low pain tolerances, right? Some of us have high pain tolerances. Some of us can handle certain events for, for our whole life and be okay. Uh, and there are yet other things that happen to us that if they last for five seconds... It's too long, right? And hey, today, just so we know, we have the lads downstairs, they're going full bore. Let's just um, act like they're not there, all right? Does that sound good? It's just gonna happen. Let's just agree it's gonna be loud down there and uh, study God's word together. And uh, hey, are you grateful for, that we even have a building? 10-year uh, lease with an option to purchase on this thing, right? Yeah, so I am. I'll take the loud kids and the building that God's given us. And so um, And so, you know, it's kind of like, when I go to the movies with my kids, have any of you seen the Coca-Cola commercial? Now they play at the beginning of every movie, right before the credits. It's called The Movie Move. And uh, it's a commercial where it shows a lot of dating couples sitting together and and they're trying to imply that at the movies, you know, you get that first time where you get your arm around your girlfriend. Do you remember that that feeling, you know, where you're sitting there, your first date, first movie, and you look over and it's like an emotional part and the guy's kind of like has a half a hand up, you know, and he's trying to get his arm around. Well, they have a series of movie moves where guys are kind of timid and finally at the end there's this one girl who just grabs her boyfriend's hand and throws it around. Well, um, my wife and I have developed a uh, well, it will become a movie pastime that will always happen uh, whenever we go to the movies with our family. Whenever that commercial comes on, we try to put our arm around our boys, and uh, we, you know, we kind of just sneak it around. And when they look at us, they're in agony. <laughs> I remember putting my arm around one of my boys, and he looked at me and said, "Dad, stop! One of my friends could be in here." And I went, and I thought, "Yeah, I know. That's why I'm doing this. You know, that's why." And, and for him, even five seconds of my arm around him, that was pure agony. But agony, while it can be fun, we know that most agony is pretty painful, isn't it? Some of us today are going through the agony of unbelief, where you're not sure if a relationship can work, if a marriage can work, if a relationship with stepkids can work. You're not sure if a relationship with Jesus can work. And you're struggling in agony of unbelief and you have spiritual tension. Some of us are going through physical pain and physical agony. Something in, in this life where your your body is broken down and it hurts every day and you wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? Even 5 seconds of this physical pain feels like too much. And yet, I'm looking at my entire life going, how am I going to handle it? Where's the victory in this? Some of us are going through deep emotional pain. Some of us have just totally train wrecked in life. The train is off the tracks. You stop dead in your tracks and you don't know what to do and you think there's no hope. Can I tell you today that there is hope in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? That there is hope in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at agony, we have to define it. And here's what it means in the Greek when we hit our word agony in the scripture. This is what it means. It's a prolonged struggle in the arena of life. A prolonged struggle in the arena of life. This is the definition of agony. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a UFC fight or not, but if you haven't, they have a cage, and they can't get out of the cage, and these two men step in the cage. And and I often think to myself, why would two men want to walk into a cage that they can't get out of until one of them is half dead, laying on the ground. But this is how it goes. And life feels like that. You know, when we're birthed, we're birthed into the arena of life. And, and we have to deal with the blows that come. But here's what I know every time we struggle, God has a great purpose in our agony. Did you know that agony can be one of the best tools that God has in your life? And we'll talk about why. And so let's look at Luke chapter 22. And since we're looking at the victory through the resurrection, I thought we'd go just a little bit before to put some perspective on the resurrection, a little bit before chronologically what was happening to Jesus. And this is what it says in Luke 22, verse 39 through 48. Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was east of Jerusalem. It was uh, if you're looking at the map, it was a little bit to the right. There's the Kidron Valley. There's a valley between Jerusalem, and then it would come back up, and you had a mountain full of olives, and it was kind of like a big olive garden. No, not the one that you and I like, but it was it was uh, full of olive branches, and, and it was full of thistles, and and it was it was just. Thick with olives. And this is where Jesus goes right before he's to be crucified, which is right before he's to be resurrected, which is right before he's to be ascended. And we'll talk about the importance of that here in a second. And so he comes out to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them for about a stone's throw. So he puts his disciples just a little ways off. They can see him praying, just a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know it's about to get real for Jesus if he's asking the Father. Here you see a picture of the Trinity, God, three persons, not three gods, but one God, three persons is what we believe in the scripture. And you see conversation between the father and the son. They are both God. This is very important to our belief as a Christian that Jesus is God in the flesh when he came. And so he's asking the father, take this away from me. He's starting to feel the pressure of what is happening to him headed toward the cross. Verse 43 says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. How many of you know the strength of the Lord in your agony? And being in agony, there's our word, in agony, which means a prolonged struggle in the arena of life, he prayed more earnestly. How many of you pray more instead of complain more when agony comes your way? When it gets tough, how many of us go to complaining first? We see the model where Jesus goes straight to prayer He goes straight to prayer. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. He said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? That is a bad day, isn't it? You know you're headed to the cross. Your best friends are right there, a stone's throw away. I have a torn rotator cuff, so that would be about 10 feet away from me. Your best friends are right there. You're feeling the weight of all the sin of the world all the scars, you're sweating blood, right? You're sweating blood. It's getting so intense. You're in agony. And then your, one of your 12 best friends walks up to you and gives you a kiss of betrayal. Who's about to turn you in. That classifies as a terrible day. That would put you in agony. That would put me in agony. And here's what I know from this story, a truth you can take home. You can write this down. In fact, it's your next blank. No one is immune from agony. No one is immune from agony. You got problems. You got issues. You got character flaws that you're trying to deal with for a long time. You know what that makes you? Normal. That's some good news, isn't it? It makes you normal. If there's stuff going on in your life, it means you're normal. And here's what I know. The depths of your agony are the places where you will experience the greatest victory in Jesus Christ. How do I know that no one is immune from agony? Because God himself, right here in the scripture, was not immune from agony. And if God's not immune from agony, if God doesn't have the cup taken from him, you know what? Maybe we need to start changing our prayer a little bit, right? In the heat of our hurt. You see, he was a man of sorrows. In fact, there's an old hymn about Jesus that says this, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to proclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. You know why he's a savior because he didn't remove agony out of the way. He didn't make it disintegrate even though he's God. He could have. What did he do? He did what Romans 8:37 says. He went through the agony, right? He was in the agony. And that's where the miracle of salvation for you and I comes from. Hey, here's another reason why I know no one's immune from agony. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible. Hopefully you grabbed a a Bible or you can look on with someone else. I'm in the New King James Version. But in Hebrews 11, verse 32 through 39, here's another reason why I know no one is immune from agony. You say, Dave, I get it. Why are you talking about this? I'll tell you in a second. Here's another reason. Jesus' followers and all of the Christians throughout history have not been able to escape the deepest hurts and the deepest pain of life. Listen to Hebrews 11 and starting in verse 32. This is called the great faith chapter for those of you who are new to the Bible. I encourage you to read all of Hebrews 11 someday in your quiet time over the next few weeks. Here's what happened to Jesus' disciples and also people who had been following God for, even through the Old Testament. It says this in verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And also of David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. But listen to this part, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings. You lo- are you looking at followers of Christ? This is what they're going through. They had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Ouch, right? They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They were they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, praise God for cotton, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And listen to all this. This is the followers of God throughout time, people who place their faith in God. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive in their lifetime, is what it's trying to say, the promise given to them. No one is immune from agony. You see, some of us make the mistake of thinking when we place our faith in Christ that our troubles and our trials and our hurts go away. And this is what shipwrecks our faith. This is why people give up and become addicts. This is why people decide to call it quits in their marriage because they say, well, there's pain and there's hurt in my life so something must not be right, God must not like me, and we walk away from him when there's pain and when there's hurt. But that's not what God wants. God wants to make more of your pain than you could ever imagine in your pleasure. Did you hear that? God wants to make more of your pain than you could ever imagine him making of your pleasure. Now, uh, how many of you Used to play Monopoly. It's kind of an old school game. It kind of falls, it's the baseball of board games, if you will, right? It's a little bit slower pace. Uh, you have to be a little bit more intentional about saying, I'm going to block out five hours to play Monopoly, right? Because no one ever wins. How many of you have ever even won? I think most people just give up, you know, like three quarters of the way. Well, my father-in-law, Bob Richards, who is an amazing guy, he, runs, he and his uh, wife, Debbie, that's Amy's parents, run a retired missionary center in Orlando, Florida. They served in Africa, in fact, for about five or six years. And yes, Amy uh, was in Africa for the part of those five or six years as well. And uh, we, we began to play Monopoly as a family. And one of the things I loved about uh, my father-in-law, Bob, is that he really didn't want to play for money he only played for one thing, immunity. So if you landed on his property, boardwalk, with a hotel and you couldn't pay, he had no interest in putting you out of the game. He would just say, how about this? Instead of paying me the $2,000 for a boardwalk on a hotel, why don't you grant me immunity to all your properties? Well, sooner, sooner rather than later, Bob is playing on a Monopoly board in which he can pay no one any money because... Everyone owes him immunity. And he just takes joy that, you know, there's not really a game going on. There's just this uh, rolling of the dice, and you go around the board, and he's happy to do it for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I mean, however many hours you want to let him go around the board and land on his immunity spaces. He's happy to let you do that because he just gets a kick out of it. But can I tell you, when we try to avoid pain and dealing, hear me on this. When we avoid dealing with the pain in our life, and, and instead of checking out, instead of running to alcohol, instead of running to pornography, instead of running to anger, instead of running to yelling, instead of running to um, just backing away and being silent, uh, you know, and just kind of say, well, I'll just keep the relationship at 50%. Instead of avoiding pain, We need to engage in the pain and ask God to join us because here's what happens. When we try to avoid pain, when we minimize its value, it's kind of like the Monopoly board and we're really not living life. You know, we're trying to be immune. Immunity takes you out of the game. But God wants you in the game because God has a redemptive plan that he's working and pain is obviously a part of it. We see it in Luke 22. Jesus went through pain. Now, here is one of the greatest statements that I want you to take home today. Write it down. And I believe this. I'm not talking about his second greatest. I'm not talking about his third greatest. I'm not talking about the okay work. Here it is. God's greatest. What kind of work? His greatest, his greatest work, like at the top, is produced from Agony. His greatest work is produced from agony. Do you know, the Garden of Gethsemane really means olive press. Jesus went to the Mount of, say it with me, the Mount of Olives. And isn't it interesting that right before the cross, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives where they made olive oil. Do you know how they made olive oil with the wine, or not the wine, the, the, the olive oil press? And what would happen is they'd put the olives on this vat. It was a concrete vat. And, and they'd have a big stone with a piece of wood in it. And they would roll this large stone o- over the olives. And as the olives sat on the vat, it would squeeze and press the olives. And out of that squeezing and out of that pressure came The purest olive oil of the day. And here Jesus is on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. And he's being pressed by the weight of sin. He is in agony. He is hurting. He's being pressed. And and out of it comes, are you ready for this? The sweetest and purest salvation. Out of the greatest agony the world has ever known, that is the agony of a perfect, pure, stainless, spotless Savior who was nailed to a cross. Is there any greater agony than that? Whenever we have something that happened to us that we don't deserve, that's pretty bad, isn't it? But how about something you could never deserve? That's what happened to Jesus. His greatest work comes from the pressure And see, through agony, Jesus was able to hold all of us up. You may want to write this scripture down. In Romans 11, in Romans 11 and verse 16, the Bible calls us olive branches. And do you know that right there that day in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went through agony and became strong enough... Catch me on this. And some of you, this is going to be new, new Bible stuff. And then you'll hear it once and you'll say, what was that? And you may need to hear it five times. Some of you may really grab on to this. But because Jesus went through agony in the garden of olives, he became the olive root for the branches so that the nation of Israel could be saved and and so that you and I could sit here and we can be saved. The Bible calls us in Romans eleven 16, I'll say it again, the branches of Christ. And why can we stand in salvation? Because we have one who is strong enough to hold up all of our sin. Aren't you grateful for a Savior like that? That is what is produced in agony. Our Savior became strong enough through his pain to lift the sin of the world on his shoulders. What an amazing thing. But here's what I want want to bring it down to a real level today. Your pain, your hurt, your discomfort can be a game changer for you. Is there any greater megaphone in this life that God has than pain? Is there anything greater? There's not. Some of you need to show who Jesus is and show the strength of God and change generational sin. You know, over and over in the Bible we see this. Our sin affects our kids. Isn't that an awful thing? That our agony, when it's unhandled, when, it's, when we, we don't let God do his work and we decide to go our own way and, and, and do our own thing with our pain... It causes sin for generation after generation after generation. This is why, you know, I encounter families as a pastor who will say, yeah, my great-great-granddad was an alcoholic, and my great-granddad was an alcoholic, and my granddad was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic, and guess what? I'm an alcoholic, and what do you think is going to happen next generation you play the movie forward? It's because people try to get rid of pain any way they can and it's earthly but here's what we know from Romans 8:37 God doesn't want to work around our pain he doesn't want to take it away he wants to do what work in in our pain I want to challenge you this morning where is a place that has been long standing long, a long standing issue of hurt of pain maybe it's short and it's budding getting big Where is a place where you've been trying to dodge the agony instead of on your knees like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying? Can I challenge you today to invite God to do the work in that pain, to do the work in that struggle in your arena of life? Can can I ask you to ask God to say, God, I'm no longer trying to get rid of this. Instead, I'm saying, here it is. Make of it what you want, because here's what I know: when you break generational sin, when you break through agony, and God works in it, this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes, and you can have joy. Anybody in the room wants some joy today? Anybody wants some peace? Anybody want patience? They say I don't know about that one, right? But if you want to see the things that you and I both know are supposed to be being produced by God, we have to invite God into our agony. So how do we combat agony? Look at Hebrews 11 verse 1. It's on the screen. We combat agony. Here's your word. Faith. We combat it with faith. Ephesians calls faith our shield that thwarts the fiery darts of the enemy. Some of us have forgotten what it means to live for faith. We place our faith in Jesus to punch our ticket to go to heaven, and then we put our shield down, (laughs) and we forget, and then agony comes, pain comes, hurt comes, and we go, God, what's happening? And he's saying, I gave you a tool. It's on your left hand. If you're, right, if you're left-handed, it's on your right hand. I gave you a tool. you got to hold it up, and it's called faith. This is what Hebrews 11 1 says. Faith is the confidence that what we, what's that word? Hope. What we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. You may not see the answer to your issues, but there is a God who knows the answer and the work He wants to do in you. Here's your action step you unveil God's faithfulness this week in your painful places in life. You unveil His faithfulness with your faith, with your faith with your hope, that no matter how bad it's getting, you say, I know a God who's a God of hope. I know a God who can rescue the deepest sinner. I know a God who can change the life of the worst person. And if he can do that, I know that he can rescue me. Do you believe that this morning? That God is a God who can rescue you. You see, many of you are not seeing the faithfulness of God Walk by you side by side because you're leaving your shield of faith on the ground. But we have to pick up hope that we serve a risen Savior. We have to do it. Like the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 20 through 23. Here's a man who watched uh, Babylon destroy his entire city. He, just, he was a prophet, and he sat there on the side watching the whole thing go up in flames. And this is what he says. And we have to grab onto this verse in our life to leave the past behind. Some of us are walking here with hurt that's 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old. Some of us have agony, kind of like the movie theater where it's only a couple weeks old, but man, it hurts. It hurts bad. We have to grab onto this scripture. This is what Jeremiah said. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. You can't forget it. But this is what he says. And this is how he unveils God's faithfulness. Yet I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. If you will pick up your shield of faith, get down on your knees like your Savior in your painful places and pray, then you will see the faithfulness of God and you will see a radical change. I want you to check out a testimony of radical change, of someone who knows what it means to have God work in their agony this is a friend of Amy and I's. Her name is Emily. She's from Florida. And in fact, she's someone who supported, even in a, in a time of, of uh, struggle uh, and hardship, she's someone who supported our church to help us get, uh, get off the ground, invested in the new work of the gospel. And she has an incredible story of surviving. Agony and seeing God's faithfulness and knowing the victory. Let's check it out now. It's a little bit long, but check into it. It's incredible.
1: Hi, my name is Emily Hayes, and my story begins in Euclid, Ohio. I was a good kid. I grew up in a supportive, loving family. My father was a pastor at a local church, so we were in church every Sunday and I grew up absolutely believing in God, and although my belief was great, it was truly my heart and my life that he was after, but I had not given him mine yet. When I was 15 years old, I experienced a very traumatic sexual assault, and the belief in my head did nothing to soothe the pain that was in my heart. I began looking for comfort, and I found it in drinking and eating disorder and cutting my own skin. And over the next 12 years, these behaviors would land me in treatment a total of seven times at some of the best facilities across the nation. Each time, I would do good for a little while, but when things got tough, I always found my way back to my old behaviors. I didn't want to be this way. I didn't want to keep failing, to keep hurting myself and my family. So I tried alternative remedies. I tried an herbalist, a hypnotherapist, I tried crystals, a Native American sweat lodge, the list goes on and on. But despite my best efforts, by the time I was 27 years old, my cutting had progressed to the point to where I woke up in the ER with 37 stitches. My eating disorder had escalated to the point I was binging and purging up to seven or eight times a day. My depression had worsened to the point I was prescribed nine psychiatric medications. I was deemed incapable of functioning in society and placed on mental disability. My drinking had progressed to the point I was consuming a fifth of vodka every day. I woke up shaking in the morning and I passed out every night. Finally, I totaled my car in a DUI accident and I woke up in jail. I lost my job and then my apartment and finally... I ended up on the streets of Cleveland, where I found myself being held in the back room of a crack house, being sold out to strangers. I truly was a captive in every sense of the word. But you see, we serve a God who sets the captives free, and that's exactly what he did for me. Not because I deserved it, because I didn't but because he's merciful, because he's faithful. He freed me from that horrible situation. But I was still so far from free. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I was on the brink of death. The money and insurance had long ago run out, and I desperately needed help. So my parents agreed to let me come back one more time so that I could detox. And as I said about that painful process, I picked up a devotional that someone had given me and I began to read it and it wasn't so much the words on the page but it was truly Jesus knocking at the door of my heart tears began pouring down my face and in that moment I knew I knew that he was real and that he had saved me from that horrible situation and I cried out God I'm sorry I'm so so sorry please forgive me please help me I need you please, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. Even the things I don't understand, even the things I may not like, I'm going to follow you. And from that moment on, I never touched another drug or alcohol ever again. And that is a true miracle. A few months after I prayed that prayer, God completely released me from my eating disorder and from cutting, and I never picked up another razor or binged and purged ever again. God truly proclaimed liberty to this captive. Shortly thereafter, I had the opportunity to move down here to Florida for a fresh start, and God led me here to this church, to Calvary Chapel. And it was here where God truly used this place and these people in such a powerful way to bring me closer in my walk with Him, and I'm forever grateful. It was also here where I was baptized, and right after my baptism, another miracle took place, and God completely released me from all nine psychiatric medications. He completely freed me from my crippling anxiety, and He gave me peace. His peace. And it's so beautiful. But he wasn't done yet. God also saw fit to give me back a car, and then an apartment, and finally a job. And within my first year of employment, I received the award for the employee of the year. Me, the girl who was deemed incapable of functioning in society. Truly nothing is impossible with God. During my addiction, I had been married and divorced twice and in countless abusive relationships. My heart was truly shattered, but I knew that God could heal my heart, and I prayed for him to do just that. I prayed for the man he had for me, a man of God who would want me, even after everything I'd been through, and God answered my prayer. And he gave me Petri Hayes. And this man didn't just want me. He waited for me. Well, God continued to heal my heart. He was a friend to me. He loved me unconditionally. And he sought so hard after our father's heart that God finally gave him mine. And we were married January 15th of 2012. And I was able to become a stepmom to his two kids. Shortly thereafter, God answered a deep cry of my heart. And we found out that this woman who should be dead was carrying a little life inside of her. On April 6th of 2013, I gave birth to our daughter, and we named her Hope, because that's exactly what God had given us, was hope. And I don't know where you're at today or what you are going through, but please don't lose hope. Don't give up. Look up. He is real and he is there and he is saying to each one of us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And because he lives, I sit before you with over seven years clean and free from all addictions and disorders. I sit before you a wife and mother, happy and redeemed. And because he lives, no longer do I have to open a bottle of vodka, but I can open the word of God and let his spirit pour over me. No longer do I have to binge and purge the feelings away, but he can purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. No longer do I have to cut myself and bleed because he bled hanging on a cross for me. And because he lives... I've been set free.
0: Wow, praise the Lord and drop the mic, right? Hey, we know that there is victory in Jesus. If he can do it for Emily, he can do it for you. I guarantee you he can. He can radically change your life. I want to offer today, maybe you walked in and you're hurting and you are that desperate. Maybe you're secretly or even publicly in that kind of situation. Today, I want you to know the hope of Jesus Christ. And what I would like you to do is right now, if you could just bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. You know, maybe your life is in that kind of place, but maybe it's not so drastic, and you just need to know a Savior who can set you free from sin, who died on the cross and rose from the grave in victory, and you need to know that victory, and today you want to place your faith in him. It could just be a small step, or maybe it's a big step. I know this, that in Jesus Christ, there is the victory. Today, if you would like to begin a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to cry out like Emily did because the scriptures say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If today you need to call out to him and say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want you to work in my pain instead of me doing my own thing. If you want to come to Christ today, would you raise your hand? I want to to pray with you. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Please take a few moments to respond to today's message. If you have any questions or you have made any decisions, email us nextsteps at elevationbuildings.com. To find out more about our church, visit elevationbillings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.